everybody. How you doing? And welcome to the John Riley Project. It's episode number 166. How are you? Welcome to the podcast. You know, this is a podcast all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Thanks for joining me. You know, we always try to do this Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 2 p.m. We're doing the live stream because we invite your comments and your thoughts and questions. And we love the interactivity. We're live streaming on both YouTube and on Facebook. Um, so thanks for joining me. Um, boy, we've got a very interesting um episode in store for you. We're going to talk a little bit about The Social Dilemma, a movie on Netflix about social media. Talk a little bit about, gosh, American exceptionalism and election interference and the um, upcoming recession. And I got a bunch of stuff that I want to share. Um, hopefully we can make it all fit in our limited time together. So uh, just hope you're having a great day. It's hump day. It's Wednesday. And, um, you know, we broadcast here from our fabulous JRP uh, podcast studio here in Poway, California, 92064. And, you know, in this podcast, we sometimes talk about local issues here um, in San Diego County, North County Inland. Um, so, you know, in fact, we've interviewed a lot of the political candidates that are running up in this area. Uh, sometimes we talk about local issues in the San Diego region and then other times on national issues. So, you know, today is mostly going to be be national stuff, I think. Um, but I do want to just do a quick announcement here locally. Um, there's going to be another candidate forum and it's going to be tonight at six o'clock. Um, and it's sponsored by um, the Poway Chamber of Commerce and the Green Valley Civic Association. I think the Kiwanis Club of Poway is also a sponsor. And um, they're going to be bringing in all the, you know, Poway City Council candidates and school board candidates and and um, even the county supervisor. Maybe we'll see Mayor uh, Steve Voss at the event. Um, this is an event that's traditionally run uh, in person at Painted Rock Elementary, really not too far from where I live, uh, but it's going all online. So I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be tonight at six. And I think they're having another event a week from today uh, on Wednesday, the 30th at 6 p.m. So hope you have a chance to tune into that. So I think it'll be kind of fun. Um, and you know, the last one we did was with the League of Women Voters, and I was really honored to you know be a sponsor for the previous candidate uh, forum. And um, you know, I worked uh, closely with the South and North Poway Votes Facebook page, and we kind of cooperatively got that organized. And that was a great event. So it's great to see more participatory democracy, more candidates getting their message out, and we're all doing it safely in the era of COVID. And I think that's pretty cool. So that's going to be tonight. Night at six, the Poway Candidate Forum. Uh, so hope you guys get a chance to see that. I'm I may do kind of a review of the event, maybe on Friday or Monday. Uh, we'll see how it all goes. So, um, yeah. So, gosh, like I said, I want to get into a number of things. Um, you know, I, I've I've commented in the past, not lately so much, but in the past of a lot of the shows that I enjoy streaming on both Netflix and on Amazon Prime. In fact, gosh, I did an episode I got about a year ago about all the different shows that I've streamed in my past and which ones I liked. And I probably should do like my own top 10 list. Yeah, that'd be kind of fun. Um, but I really enjoy period pieces. I enjoy um, movies that are historical in context. In fact, I just recently finished Downton Abbey, um, which I know was really popular. Gosh, Five years ago, eight years ago, I don't know. It was on PBS, but I really enjoyed that show. And of course, that takes place before, during, and after World War One in England. That was a great, a great show. I enjoyed it a great deal. And um, and then the, another recent one I watched, which I can't recommend enough, was Mr. Sunshine, which is on Netflix. And it's about um, around the turn of the century, you know, right around the year 1900. And it's all about the Korean Revolution. And and um, it's all subtitled, but it's done extraordinarily well. Um, it's historical in context. It's artistic. You know, it's cultural. And it was a great, a great show. So I normally watch a lot of uh, period pieces. Um, gosh, I could I again, I, I should do my own top 10 list on this. But 
lately people have been chirping to me and they said, have you seen the social dilemma? Oh, you got to watch the social dilemma. And I was like, well, wait a minute. You know, I just want to finish this Downton Abbey. You know, don't get in my way. I want to get through it. And so and I knew what the social dilemma was going to be about. You know, it's it's going to be about social media, but it's going to be, you know, kind of how social media is sort of spooky. And I was originally kind of skeptical about all of it, um, but I figured I would give it a try. And so um, I dug in and and, uh, you know, again, my my friend Jack in San Francisco is recommending this. My daughter, uh, Shannon, was just recently watching it. Um, and then uh, I've had other friends, you know, both in person and online, all telling me about this program. So it, it's like I think it was like about an hour and a half long. And, you know, I, I got into it. And, you know, of course, it kind of was basically what I expected. So, you know, they're talking about the addictive nature of social media and they have all of these former executives that work for Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn. And, you know, they all came forward talking about the technology and what these big tech companies are doing to make their platforms so appealing and how, you know, the algorithms are used to serve up content that really, you know, drives addiction and drives engagement and connection. But it was all done with sort of a evil conspiracy kind of spooky angle to this. And this is what I was kind of dreading it was going to be about because, you know, um, I work in the world of marketing. So I work in the world of digital marketing and print marketing. And I've been you know doing this for you know quite some time. So I have my own opinions on this. And and you know, like the first angle was this. They were talking about how, oh, this is an addictive platform. Young people are getting sucked into this and people are staring at their phones all the time. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, that's true. I mean, it is a very addictive platform, but really that's what all media is intended to be, whether you're watching TV or listening to the radio for those of you that still listen to the radio or when you're online surfing. All of these platforms are providing content that they hope is engaging, that they hope is interesting because they want to draw you in. And that's not something unique to social media. That's something that we've seen across all kinds of media. You know, that basic concept, of course, social media takes it a few steps further. Um, but I don't think we should I don't think it's that big of a deal that, that they're making content that's of interest to people. I mean, frankly, that's a good thing. They're creating content. They're creating um, shows and and information that is appealing to people. Um, and again, I like your local newspaper does the same darn thing when they're putting articles in there. I mean, heck, I'm a podcaster. I'm trying to do the same thing, provide content that is of interest to people. Um and then they started going down the path of how it's, you know, it's all like zoomed in on the individual. It's personalized. It's individualized. You know, they're studying what you're surfing for online and serving up ads that are unique just to you. And again, presenting this as though it were a bad thing. And I'm watching this and I'm thinking to myself, well, this is this is a good thing. I mean, if, if you're a user of any form of media, whether it's TV or radio or Internet or what, you know, newspapers, whatever it is, often it's a trade. Often you're getting the content for free and in exchange, they're advertising to you. OK, and so that is the fundamental basis of how people engage with social media or with any form of media. Of course, there are some exceptions. There are some paid media, but even paid media has advertising content. But if you are on a platform and they're providing advertising content, wouldn't you prefer it to be localized and personalized so they're serving up information that's actually relevant to you? I mean, if you looked in your local newspaper, would you expect to see an advertisement from a landscape and gardening company that's 3,000 miles away? No, you wouldn't. You would want to have more local personalized content. Um, so it makes sense to me that the, the, the fact that the content is targeted isn't a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. I mean, the the people that are delivering content that's, you know, not customized, not personalized are what spammers do when they're blasting everyone with with Viagra ads. Um, but when the content is personalized and it is 
individualize, it's not only good for the recipient because they're, what they're getting is not just advertising, they're getting advertising that's relevant and interesting to them. And these are companies that are providing products and offering it at a discount. So they're actually offering value to the uh, recipients of this information. And then, of course, from the advertiser's perspective, it's great, too, because they're delivering more relevant information, more likely that people are going to engage with their ads. So it's all a good thing. Now, you've got to get beyond the sort of the spookiness of the fact that, yeah, your online behavior is tracked. But again, that's part of the exchange. That's part of the trade where you are allowed to surf the Internet for free. And in exchange, they follow you. They find out what is of interest to you. But it's important to understand that when they're gathering data on individual people, they're not doing it as sort of like a conspiracy, like they want to, you know, capture people and throw them in jail for for violating certain you know laws. What they're doing is they're just capturing that information so they can give you a discount on products and services that you're already more than likely to want to use. So um, I think, again, they, they present it as spooky. And and then the, the, the presentation was so distorted. I mean, they they were using um, real life actors to try to be an analogy of how the algorithms worked and how they were trying to position and present content and serve it up so that it was engaging and interesting to the individual. But again, doing it in a way that it like they were presenting the, so these big tech companies as though they were these evil conspirators. And I I just couldn't buy off on it. I got about 30 minutes into this and I had to turn it off. Um, and, you know, I'll do that sometimes with my, what I watch in streaming media. I do want to go back to it. I just I was agitated that night and I never really finished it. But I know everyone's talking about the social dilemma. I do plan to give it a chance. Um, so what are your thoughts? And, you know, we're doing this this live stream. And if you are on watching this on Facebook or YouTube, you can type in any comments or questions and we'd be happy to you know, I'll share your thoughts on the air and we'll have a dialogue. You know, we'll be able to do this a, a virtual conversation um, and and have a little fun with us. So what did you think of the social dilemma? What do you think of social media? Um but it was interesting, too, that the whole time you're watching The Social Dilemma, there is, you know, an underlying bed of music, you know, and it's not happy music. It's like this sinister music, this plotting music, this evil music. And that's probably the thing that drove me the most nuts when I was watching it. So um, it's a, it was a very interesting topic. And I had this led to a conversation with with my friend Jack, who lives in San Francisco, who I talk about from time to time on this podcast. And he's not a big social media guy. And, you know, I love the guy to death. But, you know, we communicate by email, never in Facebook or anything like that. Um, but he was you know, really, you know, really concerned about social media, thought that this is a tool that can be used for evil, for white supremacy, for uh, creating division in our in our nation. And and I was, I was talking about it and I said, well, that's true, but really it's just a tool. It's just a communication medium. And yeah, there's going to be good people and bad people. But the tool itself is benign. The tool itself is, you know, not something that should be feared. And Mike Devine, thanks for joining here. Mike says, hi, John. How you doing, Mike? Um, so the social media platforms are not evil. I mean, they're they're just a piece of technology. And and yeah, there are some evil people that use it. But, you know, we were talking about it, how one of the good uh, if you want to put it in good in quotes, the fact that some evil people use social media is at least now we know who they are. Now we can identify them. Now we understand exactly how much evil exists that may have otherwise been bubbling underneath the surface. Um, so now we have a better um, understanding of what's going on out there. But uh, speaking for myself, I mean, I just think of social media is like fantastic. Um, it's it's a way that empowers individuals. We're no longer reliant on a, a collection or a handful of um, 
of corporate established media. I remember back in the day when I was a kid, you got on my TV and I was in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I remember Channel 7 was ABC, Channel 5 was CBS, and Channel 4 was NBC. And then we had an independent station, Channel 2, another independent station, Channel 44. And then we had... um, you know, PBS on channel nine. And that was basically it. I mean, that was, and there was no internet, you know, the radio was limited. Um, the newspapers, there was a lot less. Um, well, actually there's probably a little bit more newspapers, but still social media has empowered people, empowered communication. It's been a victory for free speech, in my opinion. And so, um, I mean, think about how we're able to connect with family and friends. I mean, through social media, I've engaged with, um, you know, friends of mine that I haven't seen since the seventh and eighth grade. And it's really fun to follow them and their family and their, and, and some of the things that they're up to. I've been able to stay in touch with a lot of my family members that I haven't seen in years. Um, it's a great thing for my podcast. I mean, I share my podcast, uh, episodes on Facebook and Twitter. And frankly, this podcast itself is a form of social media. Um, it, this is something that I think is, is just so fulfilling. It's a project that I really love doing, but it's also um, free expression and and social media provides that kind of platform. Um, so I, I just think it's a beautiful thing, but it's this leads us to this whole issue of freedom of speech, you know, and and. The deal with this is weird. It's, I've often talked about this idea that the other guy has rights too, right? We're, we all believe strongly in our own freedom of speech, but some people are skeptical about the other guy's freedom of speech. They're skeptical that he's going to say stuff that they don't like. And, and, and they want, and some people want to make sure that that guy doesn't have the ability to say the kinds of things that they don't like. Um, I'm of the opinion, you know, that free speech is probably the most important individual right that we have, you know, and it happens to be in the very first amendment of the Bill of Rights. But free speech is so fundamental because if we don't have the ability to speak freely, if instead our our speech is policed, if instead it's like a George Orwell novel and if we say the wrong, wrong things and we're thrown in the gulag, if, if we live in an environment like that, it, it prevents us not from speaking, but also from thinking and ultimately from not being human. So the fact that America is built on a foundation of freedom of speech is one of the things that truly makes America great, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, there are going to be people that say terrible things, just like on social media. There's going to be people pushing radical um, agendas, you know, harmful agendas. You know, that's going to happen. But that's that's what happens in a free society. You, there's the good and the bad. Pete Neal chiming in on the on the podcast here. Uh, maybe I think <laughs> not sure what you're referring to there, Pete. And then Mike Devine. Free speech, like social media, allows us to see the truth of each individual. I agree that social media is a good thing, and Mike capitalized good in in all caps. Um, But it's funny, though, because when I and I was mentioning this to my friend Jack, I was saying how, you know, freedom of speech is is one of the things that truly makes America great. And when you immediately when you start talking about America and greatness, of course, that invokes Trump and politics and everything else. And and we started talking about this further and getting into this whole idea of American exceptionalism um, and what it's about. And, and, you know, American exceptionalism is something that has been celebrated, you know, throughout America's history. In recent years, it's been something that's been mocked by others. And and I, I kind of wanted to break down American exceptionalism as, uh, you know, kind of going off tangents here from social media to free speech, and now talking about American exceptionalism. Um, 
Actually, before I do, Jamie Tobit chimed in. Um, and Jamie, by the way, is, is a good friend. We, we played music together back in the nineties. Uh, and Jamie's a good family man. He's got a great career in, in the pharmaceutical industry and just a quality man. Uh, Jamie says, I have not seen it. I guess he's referring to the social, um, dilemma, but I have a theory. Social media is new and shiny and we can turn away from new and shiny things. I believe or hope that the human condition will eventually get over the newness and it will find an appropriate and balanced place in our life. Same thing happened with home computers and cable TV and original TV and radio and kaleidoscopes. And yeah, it did. Remember when cable TV was first put in? That was like 19 in my neighborhood, like 1981, I think. And man, that was when MTV was actually a music television channel. And, and we love that and ESPN. And those were some great times. Um, and yeah, it, it had an addictive quality to it because we weren't limited to those six channels that I talked about, um, you know, in the Bay Area. We actually had about, what was it, maybe 40 or 45 channels. Uh, it was just so empowering. And yeah, it does have an addictive quality. It will, there will be another new thing that'll come forward. But social media, in my opinion, is not something that should be feared. Um, but anyways, back to this topic of American exceptionalism. It, it, it's interesting when you talk to people about American exceptionalism and you, there's so many different opinions. In many cases, so many different definitions of what American exceptionalism is. I mean, there's there's the whole part about how it's um, goes back to the, the founders and the values that were expressed, you know, about our inalienable rights of life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness, about the notion of that all men are created equal or equality under the law. But then some people extend American exceptionalism into a lot of other areas like free speech and freedom of the press. And and then they'll go even a step further and talk about how America is, um, you know, America is, you know, almost in a mystical quality better than everyone else, that America is superior to everyone else, and that we have almost a God-given right to do things on the globe. And that's where things start to go sideways, in my opinion. Um, and, and then it and this topic of American exceptionalism invites a lot of mockery um, from people around the world and even from Americans, um, people inside America, particularly those um, from the progressive left. Um, but in my opinion, um, what makes America great and what makes America truly exceptional are these big ideas. It's not so much that the American people are better than anyone else. It's not so much that um, the nation itself, you know, it's not so much that America is better than Germany or better than China or Japan or, you know, whatever. It, what makes America exceptional, in my opinion, is the fact that this nation was built on a number of big ideas, um, you know, like equality under the law that we are all created equal. Um, I think that's an extraordinarily powerful idea because prior to 1776, you know, people were the subject of a king, a king who was divinely ordained. Um, they were um, subjects in a, in a feudalistic society um, where here in America, the individual was empowered and they, they could, they could, um, the concept, the, the, the implementation is something very different, but the concept is beautiful, um, that we are all are created equal, that we do have individual inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which ultimately means that we own ourselves. So again, we're not the subject of a king, um, but you own you. Um, and, and you're a sovereign entity in and of yourself and that you have the liberty to choose and, and the ability not to be guaranteed happiness, but the ability to pursue your own happiness. Um, so to me, those are big ideas that make America great. Um, 
Pete Neal chiming in said in the PRC, that's, I guess, the People's Republic of China. If you are engaged in what could be considered a political discussion, your PRC citizen will preface every statement with maybe I think such as such that it could be considered a hypothetical rather than a punishable statement about the government. And Pete, you and I talked about that. In fact, I think we talked about that on a previous podcast um, where they would precede. Yeah, maybe I think that free speech is a really good policy, yada, yada, so that, yeah, they couldn't be pinned as though they were expressing their actual opinion or a criticism of the government. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a that's a society where you're always looking over your shoulder. That's not a society that embraces our inalienable rights, not in the least. And then Bruce McCoy uh, chimes in on the on the live stream. America, as in its constitution or America, as in the mix of 200 cultures into Americans. That's a great question. A great point, Bruce. Um, I'm of the opinion that. The the big ideas that were implemented in America, not only in the Declaration of Independence and in the Constitution, make America great and the mix of 200 cultures into Americans is the proper implementation of those very ideas. Um, because if we are going to be able to give people the right to their own life, their own liberty, their own happiness, then we are going to be able to um, have a common set of ideals that will give us a common thread that will join 200 cultures into one that will make a melting pot work properly um, when we share those ideals. And the beauty of it is, is that those ideas of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, of equality of rights, um, of freedom of, of speech and the press allows us to be individuals, that we can express our own individuality. We can express our own culture in ways that make sense for us and for our family and for our neighbors. But at the same time, we can all fit under one common ideal as Americans that all come together to embrace a core set of big ideas. And that's a big thing, in my opinion, that we're losing in America, that we are splintering on what core ideas we all commonly embrace. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with our leadership, not just President Trump, but we can go back um, many decades and look at, at uh, political leaders, religious leaders, a lot of other people in this nation that I think have um, led us down wrong paths or created an environment where they they are dividing us rather than uniting us because the divisiveness plays to their hand. Um, another element that you'll hear people talk about as far as um, American exceptionalism is the whole idea of laissez-faire capitalism and free trade. And, you know, I, I've talked a lot about free trade on this podcast where a buyer and a seller, you know, if there's, if there's a seller in China and a buyer in America, they should be able to buy and sell without interference, um, you know, and what is instead happening is, is that the government's interfering with trade agreements and in the case of President Trump, trade war and tariffs that interfere with free trade. But it's interesting. There was a big piece of news that came out today here in California. Um, Governor Gavin Newsom announced and I don't, I don't know if he did this by decree or if this was legislation passed by the Assembly and the state Senate. But he said that um, gasoline powered cars in America would be banned from sale. Um, excuse me, gasoline powered cars in California would be banned for sale for new cars starting in 2035. People could still sell used cars. Um, you know, people could still keep the gas cars they had, but the auto dealers would be forbidden from selling gasoline cars um, in, uh, from 2035 forward, brand new ones. And think about that. Now, obviously, that's a climate change motivated um, uh, policy. Obviously, that is, um, you know, consistent with a lot of people's values right now with climate change. It's sort of that do gooder uh, thing to kind of rally people and people will feel good about it. But is that consistent with our inalienable rights of life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness? 
do we really have choice when government officials are preventing us from buying products that we want? Um, you know, I'm a I'm a driver. <laughs> Pete Neal says, but I can keep Calypso. Yes, Pete, you will be able to keep Calypso. Maybe by 2035, you'll buy one of those uh, C8s, one of those electric Corvettes. But um you know, I'm a I'm a big believer in, in electric vehicle technology. We have two electric vehicles. Um, and in fact, I've been driving electric cars in some form since 2013. Uh, so I drive a Hyundai Kona, which gets about 258 miles on a single charge. And uh, my wife drives a Tesla Model 3. And she just got that um, earlier this year. And it's a beautiful car. And we both of our cars are powered by the solar panels on our roof, which we have this nice little ecosystem here. And as much as I love the EV, never would I want to prevent people from buying a car that they want. Never would I suggest that we ever restrict people's liberty to buy what they want. Because if a buyer and a seller want to get together and trade, then who am I to interject in that? Um, In fact, we were talking about it on a Facebook stream and another uh, friend of ours here in Poway, uh, Carolyn Decker, posted about this. And our local city council person, Kaylin Frank, who was a guest here on the John Riley Project, um, she even commented that, you know, it's a Gavin Newsom's policy that she didn't agree with it because it was a restriction of choice. Um, and, and never mind the fact that becoming heavily reliant on electric vehicles during a time of rolling blackouts may not make sense. And I hear you there, too. You know, we we have our own solar panels, but the way the solar panels are configured, if I remember correctly, is that um, even if there is a blackout, then our panels won't work because we're connected to the grid. I'm hoping that someday that's a, something that changes. But it is interesting that. As, and this is really what I want to get down to, is that these ideas, in my opinion, that make America great or make America exceptional, uh, these ideas are ideas that we're getting away from in society. They're ideas that we're abandoning for political reasons or for any or for economic reasons. You know, this example of, you know, forbidding the sale of gas powered cars is a great example. Um, when. Even, but even when this nation was founded, it founded on the basis of inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And people will praise the founders like they're some deity. But even the founders were flawed. And we all, we all know that. A lot of them had slaves. You know, a lot of them, that was back in the time when women had restricted rights. And, and we can go down the list, you know, the, the injustices that were <laughs> given to the Native Americans. Um, and yet they proclaimed this was a nation built on a foundation of liberty, on freedom. And sometimes you can look at it from the perspective of, well, those guys are a bunch of hypocrites and that that line is a bunch of BS. I've always been of the belief that the philosophy was right. The fact that we have equality under the law, the fact that we have individual rights, the fact that we have freedom of speech, which goes back to social media, the fact that um, we have free markets, those are good ideas, they just we they just failed to properly implement them, and it's taken time to properly implement them. And we've made great strides. Um, obviously, it was ridiculous to say this is a nation founded on the basis of freedom when you had people kept in uh, in chains. That doesn't make sense. But eventually, slavery was abolished. Eventually, women got the right to vote. Eventually. Um, you know, Jim Crow laws were abolished. Um, so eventually we get better. Um, but that doesn't mean that the ideas are wrong. The ideas are right. It's just that we as a culture have failed to implement them, largely because people have misguided notions. They, again, they want rights for themselves, but not for other people. They want freedom for themselves but not for others. Um, and that's the controlling mentality we see from a lot of people in America. The, the idea of leaving the other guy alone, you know, minding your own business. Everyone instead wants to be like Mrs. Kravitz in the TV show Bewitched, <laughs> you know, where she's looking over the fence or looking through the blinds and peeking and eavesdropping and spying on people. I mean, that's like that's George Orwell, um, you know, taken to the extreme. If you want to take that idea to the extreme, that that is George Orwell. So. 
But it is funny, like with American exceptionalism, a lot of people are very proud of being Americans. And there's the whole idea of, you know, military and family and religion. And it's like this Norman Rockwell painting, you know, that that people can see, you know, uh, sitting on the porch, drinking a glass of lemonade with your grandpa, you know, and uh, during a time when things were simple and, and we had an American flag flying on our porch and and they believe that's what made America exceptional. But it is an easy thing to mock because behind the curtain, there were people who were not allowed to vote. There were people that were told to drink in a different water faucet. Um, there were uh, people that were oppressed. Um, we had military going all around the world shooting people. Um, it was um, there was a lot of hypocrisy to that message. So it became an easy thing to mock. It's it's a double standard in a lot of cases, because when American leaders have gone on the world stage talking about American exceptionalism and American freedom, those world leaders know that we have a, a history of slavery. Those world leaders know that Blacks were marching in Selma for equal rights. Um, those world leaders know to this day that the American government in, in the form of police officers um, are killing people like George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. So it's hard to stand up on this moral righteousness of American exceptionalism when we have so many flaws internally. And then some people will take it even a step further. The, the idea of American exceptionalism is the idea that we are the chosen people. We are the ones that must spread democracy throughout the world. And, you know, that ends up being sort of a cloak, I think, for a lot of the military industrial complex to come forward and get us into these foolish wars, you know, like Vietnam or Iraq or whatever. Um, you know, the, it's, it's one thing to spread the good ideas that America was founded upon. But in my opinion, it's not a good idea to force them down other people's throat uh, because they may very well feel very differently. So we talk about, you know, this notion of America. Is America better than other nations? Is America superior? Is America exceptional? I'm going to say the nation is not. The nation is not better. Um, the people are not better. Um, but I think the ideas are better. Um, I, I really believe that. And, and I think that as a nation, we haven't fully implemented those ideas. But imagine if we lived up to those ideals. So if if starting in 1776, our founders said that we are going to implement policy in this nation that is completely consistent with life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness, um, equality under the law. Imagine if they did that. Right from the get-go, there would be no slavery. Right from the get-go, there would be um, votes for everybody, <laughs> certainly all adults. Doesn't matter what gender you are. Doesn't matter what race you are. Doesn't matter what uh, property you own. Um, everyone would have the right to vote. Um, we wouldn't see uh, Jim Crow. We wouldn't see people fighting against racial segregation in education. If we lived up to these ideals, we wouldn't see all of the distortion in the economy from lobbyists buying off politicians to rig the system to favor one group at the expense of others. That wouldn't exist if we had a nation that was built on equality under the law and that maintained a true free market, um, a market that was based on, um, you know, based on free trade and that did properly prosecute people for crimes that were violations of rights, whether it's murder or assault or rape or fraud or theft. Those are righteous areas that government can manage. And if they do it properly, then the economy can flow. The economy can move freely. But instead, we have a highly distorted economy, a distorted culture. We have people fighting on the streets right now. Um, I, again, I'm of the belief that, uh, you know, if we had followed through on those big ideas, things would be a great deal better. There wouldn't be a need for a wall, um, you know, and, and then it's funny. You know, people talk about another element to American exceptionalism that historians will talk about is is the Puritan sort of Protestant work ethic. 
But it's funny how even those ideals have been abandoned, not so much the Puritan and the religious part of it, but those ideas typically are all about frugality, right? But look at our our nation right now. Our our debt is skyrocketing. Our debt is now larger or about to be larger than the whole entire economy. Um, We've abandoned the ideas that make America truly exceptional. I mean, it's it's funny. It's like Americans um, and politicians will talk about China and human rights, and we can't allow the, these human rights violations in China. But meanwhile, there are human rights violations in America. There's a massive incarceration state um, for people that are in jail for things that shouldn't be crimes in the first place. Um, there are a whole series of injustices. So I mean, it's it's like that moral righteousness of American exceptionalism. It's hard to really play that when you're talking with other people on the world stage. I think in many cases, it's like that quote. Um, what is it? The, Let the person with the glass house throw the first stone. Um, you know, I think, in other words, we we need to really focus on ourselves. We need to focus on making this nation better and making it truly exceptional before we go around like some stuck up kid on a schoolyard pretending that we're superior to everybody. Um, so, you know, kind of getting back to social media, um, I, I'm again of the belief that social media is, yeah, it's like it's a natural extension of freedom of speech. It's empowering to individuals. It's something that that movie, The Social Dilemma, I really question, you know, what are they, they're, they're trying to make social media as though it's some evil force. So I got to go back. I only watched about the first 30 minutes of it. And I think it's about a 90 minute movie. I will give it a chance. But yeah, part of living in a free country is that other people are going to do and say things you don't like. But as long as they're not violating the rights of someone else, as long as they're not harming someone else or, or hurting someone else, then that's the case. I mean, in a free society, assholes will exist. <laughs> and that's that's the uh, the nature of it, um, because, you know, what's the alternative? I mean, if the alternative is um, where we have a very overbearing uh, government that's policing everyday activity in America. So one of the things that's interesting is with um, with social media is now there's a lot of restrictions to political speech and you're seeing people. Um, wanting Mark Zuckerberg, they bring Zuckerberg in front of one of these congressional hearings and hammer him over the fact that he should be fact checking the content on his on his platform. That's like, frankly, impossible. <laughs> that can't be done and, and because there's just such an insane volume of content. Uh, but by the way, they're, they're now running algorithms. And I've seen some people, the people I know that have posted false, uh, inaccurate content and have seen their their uh, their posts get suppressed. I've, I've seen that happen. Uh, so they're trying to, to manage their own platform. Some people are demanding, you know, that they fact check every political ad. But imagine if every political ad was fact checked. There would be no political ads because <laughs> every political ad is a distortion of some form. But you know, if if Zuckerberg or, you know, Larry Page at Google or whatever, if 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 these independent companies want to manage um, their platform and police the content of their platform, that's fine. You know, go for it. But when the government starts telling Zuckerberg to police his form, then we start getting into that dangerous territory where the government is dictating what we're allowed to say. And I think we've got to be very, very careful about this. Um, And some people get to the point, my friend Jack and I, we talked about this with social media. You know, there's foreign nations interfering in our elections. We can't have this. And that's an interesting topic, too, because with our elections. And by the way, I just want to go back to a tangent. This is a live stream, by the way. We're live streaming on Facebook and on YouTube. If you have more comments, zing them to me. I see a bunch of you watching online, so feel free to join the discussion. The, the, the election interference issue is another interesting one. And I'm of the opinion that if we live in a nation that is all about free speech, well, there's always going to be people trying to influence elections. And I don't care if they live here in Poway or Rancho Bernardo or they live in, you know, in Bonita or if they live in San Francisco or if they happen to live in Moscow or they happen to live in Tehran. 
um, there are going to be people that are going to try to influence elections. And if we are a nation built on free speech, I think we should be okay with that. Um, Of course, on the other hand, um, if there are outright lies and distortions, then, yeah, those social media companies can choose not to publish it. Um, And I, I think that makes sense, too. But. You know, even I've tried to run political ads. I mean, I I take these podcasts and I try to promote them online. In fact, I did a podcast about the Poway protesters, which are down here in Poway, California, on the intersection of Pomerado and Twin Peaks, which on Sunday mornings between 11 and 12 was a spectacle out there. Um, You know, originally it started with the anti Bush people, then eventually the anti-Trump people, and now the pro-Trump people have like taken over that intersection. Well, um, I did an interview down there with the leaders on both sides and offered a bunch of commentary, and I tried to post that um, as an episode and promote it, you know, boost the post on Facebook, and I was prohibited from doing it. But I had to go through this um, onerous um, registration process um, that Facebook had implemented, primarily because they gotten pressure from Congress to do it. Um, and so I had to like provide all this additional forms of identification and then I got approved and then I was finally able to, to publish the ads. And then after about six months, they said, uh, sorry, your account has expired. You need to resubmit. And I went through the same process again and I sent them a copy of my driver's license to prove who I am. And then they rejected it and they said, well, we need some additional forms of um, identification. And it's like, geez, like so hard. Um, I don't think Facebook is doing it because Facebook wants to do it. I think they're doing it because they're pressured by the government to do it. And I don't think that's right. Um, So. But if if foreign nations are actually literally messing with the election system, hacking the election, changing vote totals, that sort of thing. Well, that's something completely different. Of course, that's something that, in my opinion, could be arguably an act of war. Um, And I think that's something that diplomats and in a worst case scenario, military needs to be very involved in. Um, But if people are worried that someone's taken out a Facebook ad, um, to me, that's not something that we should just get all up in arms about. But some people really f- are fearful of that sort of thing. And and they really think of, of social media in a negative light as a result of it. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I, as you can probably tell, I'm, I'm just a zealot on free speech. Uh, I, I think it is the most important individual right that we have. I mean, other than the fact that we own ourselves which is our inalienable right to life. We own us. We own, you own you, I own me. Um, But other than that, freedom of speech is probably the next most important because if we don't have the ability to speak, then we, if we have a gun to our head that prevents us from speaking, then in many ways we have a gun to our head that prevents us from thinking and a gun to our head that prevents us from being human and being real and being who we really are. And so, um, yeah, I, I just think that's an idea that needs to be we need to stand up proudly for. And with social media, yeah, there's going to be people saying things we don't like. Um, but that's that's part of the deal. That's what happens in a free country. And those cases will just have to be managed. So. OK, so I'm talking about all this stuff about social dilemma and <laughs> and uh, American exceptionalism and some of my thoughts about this. But. Really, what can we do about it? I mean, we can vote, but we have one vote, right? And how far is that vote going to go? Here in, in California, I've talked about this before, our vote is important, but really, we all know what's going to happen in the presidential race with the Electoral College. California is a stone-cold lock to go to Biden. doesn't matter. And I love seeing the, those people on the street corner freely expressing their support of President Trump. But they're going to lose California and the influence they're doing here is probably not going to move the needle. But I still love that they're doing it. Um, I don't necessarily agree with what they're saying, but I love the fact they're out there expressing themselves. But we have to we have to really focus our attention on living our own life, on being all that we can be. Uh, Pete Neal chimes in on the on the live stream Rank the world's different forms of government nations. Where is the U.S. ranked overall? This is an interesting question. Um, 
you'll see rankings of nations on any variety of of uh, dimensions, the happiness scale. I talked about that in a previous podcast where the Scandinavian nations were supposedly happier than other nations. But I say happiness is subjective. It can't really be um, measured objectively and different things make different people happy and different cultures inspire happiness. Other cultures might be a little more cynical. You'll see other indexes on freedom. Um, They rank nations based on freedom, Uh, not only personal freedom, but economic freedom. And they break it down in in some some very interesting subcategories. Um, I'm of the belief that the ideas that America is founded on are exceptional. And in my opinion, this is just my opinion, are better than the other nations around the world. The ideas are better. Um, we have totally failed to implement those ideas properly, um, but we need to do that. There's still work to be done. Um, people like Brianna Taylor should not be killed at the hands of the police. Interesting. I guess that that um, indictment's coming down today. My understanding is that one of the three officers was is going to be um, going to be tried, and the worst case is maybe five years in jail. Again, I'm on a tangent on a tangent, but think about that. I mean, my understanding of that case was is that the the police did, um, I don't know if it was a no-knock raid or they knocked and then barged into the door. They were in the wrong house, wrong house. And then Breonna Taylor's in there with her boyfriend and they're, someone's breaking and entering. And so, of course, the boyfriend gets a gun to defend himself. It's like the castle doctrine. There's a shootout and Breonna Taylor, an innocent victim in this whole thing, dies I mean, if you or I did that, if we walked up to someone's house, knocked on the door, busted the door down, came in with guns cocked, and then the homeowner had a rifle and started shooting at us, and then we started shooting back and started killing family members, what do you think would happen to us? We'd be sentenced to life in prison. Um, this sort of thing um, should never have happened, and these, I, I believe these police officers should be held fully accountable. Um, but yeah, if we if we had implemented the, those ideas of an America's founding properly, America, in my opinion, would be number one. It wouldn't be any question. Um, but right now we're flawed. You know, we we have uh, dirty laundry. Um, we have uh, problems in the United States, and those problems are festering. And you look on the news today, and we see cities burning and and people threatening violence. Um, you know, approaching and after this election. We got a lot of problems here. Where does America rank? I don't know. I mean, I've I've been to a, a number of other nations. I'll tell you what. We we did a trip to Europe. Um, I went there with my daughter. I really like Vienna, Austria. That was a beautiful city. Um, we were in Slovenia, the home country of of um, of Mrs. Trump, and uh, we went to Lake Bled. That was a beautiful place. I've been to Japan. Costa Rica, um, of course, Mexico. I haven't traveled as much as I'd like. Um, I got, I have a friend, Mike Lopez is travel. He's probably gone to at least 60, maybe as many as 80 nations. He now lives on the Pacific coast of Nicaragua and he's building a restaurant and hotel right there on the coast. And he's going to retire in Nicaragua. That guy has had an amazing globe trotting lifestyle. So, Pete, again, I don't know where U.S. ranks overall, definitely in the upper half, definitely in the upper quarter. Um, but, you know, it's also we all have different values, right? People that live in South Korea or Singapore or they live in, you know, they live in uh, the United Arab Emirates. They may believe that their nation is the best because they have their own view, their own perspective, their own values. Um, so. The good news is, is that I don't I'm not the authority. I don't get to rank them all and force people to live my way. Um, the ideal scenario is, is that we all have the liberty to travel where we want to and live in a nation that is reflective of our own values. But sadly, a lot of that is blocked. Um, Trump put up the embargo in Cuba again, and we've seen other examples of that. So, um, yeah. So, Pete, I don't, I don't I don't know if I gave you a clear enough answer. Um, I think, uh, 
Um, America is good, but um, not great. Um, like this goes back to the, was it, was it Peter Collins that wrote the book, you know, from good to great, which is a great business book. Um, America has great ideas, but flawed implementation. And in many cases, America is just good. Um, in other cases, mediocre. And in some cases, great. It's a mixed bag. Um, but anyways, what, what can we do? Um, what can we do? Well, the first thing you can do if you're watching on the live stream is like the podcast, uh, share the podcast, subscribe to the podcast. And again, I don't do that for my own ego. I'm only asking you to do that because it helps spread the news. It helps us in the algorithms. It helps us rank higher in the Google search results and the YouTube search results. So any support you can ha- offer is great. But what can you do? I mean, I think you got to you do you, you know, you got to take control of your own life. Um, I talked in my last podcast about how I'm taking control of my life right now. One of the things I'm working on is I'm cleaning out crap out of my garage. I've made more progress since my Monday podcast, by the way, Um, made a lot more progress and I'm going to continue to be chipping away at it. Um, We got to be prepared. You know, we got to be prepared economically. We got to be prepared uh, potentially. You know, what happens with this election in November, you know, who knows? I I hope everything is peaceful. But, you know, there are people making threats. There are people making threats that they're going to burn it down if um, the Republicans nominate a different a new Supreme Court justice. So we just got to be prepared. We got to there's it seems like there's too much worrying about other people. That's that goes back. But we're having this deal here in Poway right now with the Stone Ridge Country Club. And it was shut down because golf became less popular and water became a lot more expensive and an owner bought the property, certainly a speculative owner, hoping that the land could be rezoned for housing and then he could sell the land and develop the property and make some good money. We have that going on here and there's actually a ballot proposition in November to change the zoning law to allow that construction to occur. But there's a lot of people that they're NIMBYs, not in my backyard. You know, they want to control everyone else rather than just focusing on themselves. Um, They want to manage and manipulate other people rather than just focusing on themselves. They want freedom for themselves, but they want restrictions for freedom for other people. This is where we get off course with um, our, these founding values that make America great. Equality under the law, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, freedom of speech, of press, of um, freedom you know, of trade. Those are great ideas. But people are constantly fighting against them, not for themselves. They don't want to restrict their own liberty. They want to restrict the liberty of other people. They want to restrict the rights of other people. We got to get to a point where we just just you do you, man. You focus on you. And cooperate freely with other people, but don't be freaking putting your you know fists down and demanding that other people bend to your will. Uh, to me, that's that's a violation of of what America is supposed to be about. Um, Pete Neal chimes in. The one I recall, and I'm looking for, 50 factors were compared. The U.S. ranked not, uh, number one in not one of them, not even in the top ten in several. But taken collectively, we did rank highly in a majority, and therefore we ranked number one overall. Yeah, you know, that, that's an interesting one. There's, there's been a lot of studies like that that rank nations based on any variety of criteria, GDP per capita, um, you know, how easy is it to set up a business? Um, can you marry, um, you know, is same-sex marriage allowed? Um, I mean, we can go down the list, you know, is marijuana legal? Uh, you know, is there is there socialized medicine and national health care plan? Is tuition free? Uh, you know, all these different values that some people love and some people don't. Um, and then people do these stack rankings and, and then that usually becomes the greatest clickbait, you know, is when someone does a top 10 list and you got to click through the slides of one through 10. And here I am talking about doing my own top 10 list of, of, of period pieces on, on streaming media. But yeah, it, it's hard to rank it depends on the dimensions or the or the or the variables that you're ranking on, so it's hard to do that. Um, but um, yeah, I, I just I want to you know we're getting near an hour here, but I want to just share a couple of more things. 
So we can debate about what makes America exceptional and we can decide, you know, should we have the freedom to live our life as we wish or should your freedom be curtailed? Should we have national health care or not? And you know, yada, yada, yada. We can go down that battle. But in the end, we can't do anything. We could vote, but we're like one vote of a gazillion. The only thing that we really can do is take control of ourselves. The, the things that we really have the most direct control over are our own behavior, our own actions, our own thoughts, our own speech. We can control ourselves. Um, what should we be doing? Um, we should be investing in our own selves. Um, we should be learning, learning new skills, um, learning new technology. We should be um, looking for ways for us to reduce stress, to, to just make your life better. You know, pursue your happiness. Be better. Those are the things we need to be working on is making ourselves better rather than trying to control and manipulate everyone else around us. Um, you know, we're going to there's going to be some tough times coming. I hear I am. I'm looking at my crystal ball right now. This economy is a house of cards. This economy is propped up by all kinds of money printed out of thin air, you know, that came as a result of this COVID crisis, um, massive debt that's being created, um, businesses that are shuttering. In fact, we talked about this before that Yelp did a study and that of the businesses that were temporarily shut down due to COVID, 60% of them have shut down permanently. So we got huge portions of our economy that are shut down. Um, massive debt being created at the federal level, probably at the individual level too. people that aren't paying their rents and are able to do so without any retribution, um, which is going to create a whole other problem um, for the landlords. Um, then you've got uh, all kinds of you know, loans and handout programs that are not necessarily always going to small business or going to the actual people that pay the taxes. Instead, they're going and they're being swindled into slush funds by President Trump for for his corporate cronies. Um, we're seeing manipulation of this process to serve the needs of special interests, those that have gained influence with the current administration and for people in Congress and in the Senate. We're seeing a lot of things breaking as a result. And so there was a really interesting article that came out in Reason uh, magazine, Reason.com. And it's titled, After the Stimulus Binge, Brace for a Crash. Skyrocketing debt, higher borrowing costs, and a hobbled economy are predicted in the latest Congressional Budget Office report. So even the federal government now is predicting that we're going to have a significant recession. And there were short-term effects of all of the stimulus, all of this money created out of thin air, all of these stimulus checks and huge loans, um, huge handouts that went to large corporations. The CBO estimated that the legislation that was passed, you know, for the COVID relief will increase the level of real uh, gross domestic product by 4.7% in 2020. That sounds pretty good, but it's all fake. It's all inflated. Um, and it'll, the GDP will be 3.1%, they think, in 2021. Um, but from fiscal year 2020 to 2023, every dollar that goes uh, into the deficit only increases the GDP by 59 cents. So we're not even getting a total bang for our buck. Because the debt is becoming so onerous, the stimulus becomes less and less impactful. It's kind of like when you, you know, you take a hit of, of something, the second hit isn't quite as, as good as the first, and the third isn't quite as good as the second. That's what's happening. And in fact, this, this article on in Reason.com, I'll include it in the show notes, they compared this to taking cocaine. Um, it, was, it was an interesting article. Um, but then it goes on to say the, the longer term effects by increasing debt as a percentage of GDP, which is, is happening now. In fact, debt as a percentage of GDP is going to be over 100 percent. 
The legislation is ex- expected to raise borrowing costs. Okay, that means interest rates are going to go up when you buy a car, when you buy a house, when you pay for student loans. Um, interest rates are going to go up on credit cards and on lines of credit and on down the line. Um, that's going to slow the economy down. Um, there's going to be lower economic output and the reduction in national income long term. So what these, the, these national leaders are doing is they're eroding what makes America great by creating these policies where um, those with influence, those with connections are the ones that are basically thieving the system. And again, we can't control it. We can vote. I hope we all vote properly, you know, based on your own values. I hope you're not bamboozled into voting for someone you don't want to vote for. I hope that you're not voting for someone that's awful because the other person is even more awful. Hope instead you vote for someone that you really like. Um, but we have to take control over our own lives because there's a shitstorm coming. Um, you, you know, you thought the last recession was bad in 08 and 09. It's going to be worse. And in fact, it seems that every recession we've had, you know, since probably the, the well, has every recession been worse? I mean, the, the obviously the one in 2008 was worse than the one after the dot-com bubble. And the dot-com bubble one was probably worse than the 1987 crash. And it was definitely worse than the sluggish economy in George H.W. Bush's um, uh, administration in the early 90s. Remember, Clinton used to say, it's the economy, stupid. But yeah, the economy was awful in the 70s, too. Um, But it's going to be awful again. And are you prepared? Are you are you ramping up your skills? Are you getting better? Are you cleaning out your garage? Are you cleaning out the mess in your life so that you're nimbler, quicker, more independent, more agile to adapt to what's coming? Because if something's coming, you can't keep inflating this economy with a house of cards for this long. At some point, the bubble will burst just like it did in 08 with the housing bubble. And right now we got other bubbles forming. The college debt bubble is another one of them. So um, are you prepared? Um, what are you doing to get ready? Um, so my suggestion is, is just you do you. We need to quit trying to manage and manipulate all these other people, restricting their rights, restricting their liberties. Instead, just you do you. As long as they're not harming other people, as long as they're not violating people's rights, as long as they're not murdering and raping and assaulting and, and being fraudulent, as long as they're not damaging other people's property. Well, th- when that happens, that's what government's supposed to do. It's supposed to manage that. But as long as that's not happening, you know, mind your own business. Um, focus on you uh, because we, well, there's a lot of work to be done. <laughs> I'm trying to focus on me. This podcast is a big part of that. Um, it's, it's a great thing for me to be better. And I've talked about that quite a bit. It's, it's good for me for a whole number of reasons. Self-esteem, um, discipline, um, free expression, um, building on my business. This is all very key for me. I hope that you're building you. So with that, I am going to close this podcast. I didn't prepare a final quote. I should have done that, but I didn't. I was actually watching the Padre game. They started it at one o'clock today as I was preparing this podcast. And, and already we got pitching problems, friends. Mike Clevenger was pulled after the first inning. And then Adrian Morhone came in and gave up three home runs in the second inning. And I, last I checked, we were down 4-2. So when I turn this back on, I'm hoping the Padres are up. So at any rate, this I'll conclude this podcast. This is the John Riley Project. This is episode number 166, um, a podcast all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We have um, an, a guest scheduled um, in early October. Um, Jennifer Klein will be coming back, a local musician and entrepreneur, and I'm looking forward to our conversation there. And I invite all political candidates to join me on this podcast, whether you're running locally, 
regionally, nationally. Every political candidate is welcome to join me for a conversation here on the John Riley Project where we can get to know you and you can share your message with voters. So with that, I wish you a great day. Have a good one. And we'll be back at you Friday at two o'clock here on the John Riley Project. Take care, friends. Bye bye.